Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This week's episode of For Real is sponsored by Book Riot's newsletters. Did you know that Book Riot has over 25 newsletters covering every genre, as well as book news and deals? Sign up for book deals to get notified about the best book sales of the day, handpicked by our editorial staff. There's also Today in Books, our daily newsletter summing up the most interesting headlines from the book world each day. And don't miss our newest newsletter, Our Queerest Shelves, which will deliver LGBTQ news and recommendations straight to your inbox. We've also got newsletters for horror fans, romance readers, YA lovers, mystery thriller aficionados, nonfiction lovers, and more. Just go to bookriot.com newsletters to sign up for the newsletters you're most interested in receiving. That's bookriot.com newsletters. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or at least try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Kim Ukra, and fellow writer Alice Burton. We're recording this week's episode on Saturday, February 20th. Hello, Alice. How are you today? Slightly chaotic as usual, but you know, <laughs> otherwise great. How are you doing? You know, I'm uh, I'm doing okay. It was um, we're recording early because you have many life changes uh, coming up, and I don't have anything happening, and it's very boring. But also, like getting increasingly harder that it's so boring, and I don't know. It's been a it's been a rough couple of weeks, I would say, just emotionally. But I'm excited for you and your uh, your life changes. Oh, thanks. That sounds so like grand and mysterious. It does. I'm moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's a change, whatever. It is a change. No, my my wife and I are buying our first home together. It's very exciting. But yeah, definitely a lot of work. But you know, the whole thing of not having stuff to do or feeling at least bored, even if you have things to do, but you don't feel like doing them. So you have that Mm -hmm. boredom. That's really hard. Yeah, and I I was talking my the coworker I work most closely with. She also has been having a rough couple of weeks, and we so as we've been like slacking back and forth and doing Skype calls, trying to like coordinate our projects and stuff. We've been talking about it a bit this week, and I, it's it's just a lot of things. Like it's been super cold in Minnesota and everywhere, and so you know none of us have really been able to get outside very much. Like there's nothing to do. We're coming up on for us the like one year anniversary of COVID. Really like changing things dramatically. Um, It didn't really start to affect day-to-day life in Minnesota until like early March, um, mid-March in particular. So we're coming up on that. And then I think that is hard. And, uh, you know, it's just, it's just a lot, a lot lot happening, but not really a lot happening at the same time. Yeah. Hitting the one-year mark is um, definitely a thing. And I I don't know how people are going to (laughs) be feeling emotionally about it uh, come March. I don't even really want to maybe make a guess (laughs) at this time just because it feels (laughs) so unpredictable. But anyway, um, do you have any follow-up? I do, yes. So a couple of episodes ago, I think I uh, in New Books, I talked about Between Two Kingdoms, a memoir of a life interrupted by Suleika Juada, which is a memoir about her experience getting cancer in her early 20s. And at the time, I was super gushed about it, and I was partially through, and I finished it last weekend. 
Uh, and it is it is a stunner. It is such a beautiful memoir. I cannot recommend it highly enough. She kind of it's written in two parts. So the first part is all about her cancer experience, and then she gets to the end of that first part, having completed her treatments and sort of quote unquote is on the other side of cancer, and then realizes like she doesn't really know what it means to like live having like had this potentially life-threatening or definitely life-threatening serious cancer diagnosis and treatment. And so she goes on this road trip around the country meeting people that she had interacted through like forums and people who had responded to some writing she did online about her cancer journey and all of that. And um, it's a about sort of like coming back to yourself and like finding yourself after trauma and it was just beautiful. I cried so many times in the second half of this book, like the lessons she was learning and the people she was talking to and their experiences that they shared with her. And I just, it's, I mean, I'm super emotional right now anyway, because like everything's hard, like we just talked about, but I just, it was such a stunning, stunning memoir. I cannot recommend it highly enough. So Between Two Kingdoms, a memoir of a life interrupted by Suleika Juada. So good. Get it. Oh, what a nice book to kick the podcast off with. Indeed, yes. Let's talk about another neat one, which is our first sponsor. Boom. Transition. (laughs) Uh, It's Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science by Erica Engelhopt. I love science and I love nature, so I am very excited about this book. Erica Engelhopt is a science reporter who writes the Gory Details column, basically for nationalgeographic.com. And in this book, uh, she investigates the gross, strange, and morbid absurdities of our bodies and our universe. So this is from the research biologist who stung himself with every conceivable insect to the world, I know, to the world's most murderous mammals. Um, Isn't one of them the platypus? Did I make that up? Maybe. I don't know. Don't believe me. Read the book. Uh, (laughs) This entertaining book explores oft-ignored but alluring facets of biology, anatomy, space exploration, nature, and more. This has interviews with leading researchers in the field and is just funny. If you like pop science books or if you like books that are – you can read and then be kind of like – did you know to your friends, which I definitely love doing, uh, don't know if they love hearing it, but that's fine, um, then you'll probably enjoy this. Uh, so this is also if you have like books like Bonk by Mary Roach, uh, Wicked Plants, A Poisoner's Handbook, that kind of thing. It's very much along those same lines. So again, that is Gory Details, Adventures from the Dark Side of Science by Erica Engelhopt. Thank you for sponsoring. That sounds great. Yeah, A Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Blum is one of my favorites, so saying that as a comparison makes me super curious about it. Yeah, fun. All right, so uh, we're going to kick off with some nonfiction news this week. Uh, We each have one uh, one article to share. Uh, Mine is about a movie adaptation that is out based on a book I talked about on the podcast a couple of years ago. So the movie is called Nomadland, and it is based on a 2017 book by Jessica Bruder called Nomadland, Surviving America in the 21st Century, which is all about people who kind of give up their homes and start living in RVs and travel around the United States. And so the um, movie adaptation is directed by Chloe Zhao, and it stars Frances McDormand as Fern, who is a woman who talks about how she's, no, I'm not homeless, I'm just houseless, not the same thing, right? And the book is... uh, the book is really amazing. It's got such intense and good reporting just about the difficulty of like getting by in America and people who sort of follow jobs across the United States or work in Amazon warehouses and live in trailers and how that's sort of 
a lifestyle choice, but also sometimes not. It's like the only economic reality that makes sense. Um, and so the book is, or the excuse me, the movie is available for free on Hulu. So if you're a subscriber, you can see it there. Or uh, there's a seven day free trial for Hulu that you could sign up for if you wanted to see the movie. So uh, we'll link to a. Um, article from Rolling Stone, which describes, it gives us the summary of the film as following the economic collapse of a company town in rural Nevada, Fern packs her van and sets off on the road exploring a life outside of conventional society as a modern day nomad. Uh, it also includes David Strathern, Linda May, Swanky, and Bob Wells as Fern's mentors and comrades, some uh, real nomads, people who actually uh, live this way. So I'm excited about that movie. I really liked the book, so I think it'll be kind of an interesting one. I feel like it's Casting Frances McDormand in that role feels so obvious that it almost mm-hmm. borders on parody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's really perfect for that. Who are we going to get for this woman of the people? <laughs> and it's just like, oh, Frances McDormand, true, obviously. Yeah. I could also see Melissa Leo in that role. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. But anyway, my news article is uh, a People exclusive uh, written by Sam Gillette. And it is that Jenna Fisher and Angela Kinsey have Woo-hoo. a book coming out, which I'm very excited about. It's coming out in 2022. It's going to be called Office BFFs. Uh, if you have listened at all to their podcast, uh, The Office Ladies, then you know that they have talked about writing a book for a long time. Because they, especially as they're rewatching old episodes, they've been like, oh, we have a lot of stories that we <laughs> can share about our time. This is like bringing back all these memories. And they're just such a extremely charming best friend pair and like they you know they really complement each other really well they've had a um they've been doing a writing retreat and they've been like doing instagram uh stories about it and it's so funny and they like work in kind of opposite ways but they just like love and support each other and they've been friends for so long now and it's also just it's so funny if you think about you know pam and angela's Mm -hmm. dynamic on the office and then how they actually just from season one became like best friends. So really excited about this book. Jenna Fisher does have a, a previous book about um, basically how to be an actor like in a, a more practical way, um, which I haven't read because I don't do straight up acting, <laughs> but seems very useful uh, for that kind of job. But um, this just seems so relevant to everyone who cares about friendship. So uh, very psyched about this book. Yeah, jazzed. It sounds awesome. I'm really excited about it. That's all I have. Woo! Cool. All right. So uh, nonfiction news, a movie and a book coming out in a couple of years that will be really fun to pick up. All right. So with that, we will shift into new nonfiction, which is books that are coming out soon now that we are excited about or have looked at and wanted to read. So, um, Alice, you're up first this week. Yeah, so my first pick is Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters, and Shapeshifters of the Feminine Persuasion by Tori Telfer. Tori Telfer also wrote Lady Killers, which is Deadly Women Throughout History. Um, So this is kind of, uh, it seems to be the the niche that she's carving out. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I was actually really excited when I saw that this was coming out because Confidence Women, I mean, the only one that I knew of was from Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, <laughs> which mm-hmm. I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's a spoiler because the movie is from like the 80s, but um, <laughs> Janet Colgate. So reading about real life Confidence Women was just really interesting. And this goes from like the 1700s in Paris with Jean de Saint-Rémy, who 
scammed the royal jewelers out of a necklace that was made for from 647 diamonds. And I know. And she did this by basically getting this guy who wanted to get in with Marie Antoinette. She was like, oh, I'm best friends with Marie Antoinette. (laughs) And she hired someone to impersonate Marie Antoinette who to like tell him basically like there there was like a a very quick meeting at a garden at like twilight Mm -hmm. or something. You know, that kind of. You know, that classic kind of encounter. Amazing. And so she tricks this guy. He buys the necklace. And then she, like, broke it up into separate diamonds, right, in order to sell. She did get caught. But the fact that she, like, had this very long con going and convinced, like, Parisian nobility that she was, like, had this in with the queen, which she absolutely did not. Yeah. Anyway, so that was fascinating. It also uh, talks about, like, this woman from Cleveland in the 19th century who similarly was just, like, conning all these bankers out by telling them that she was the illegitimate daughter of Andrew Carnegie and, (laughs) like, did it so smartly. (laughs) I was just like, wow. And she, Tori Telfer talks about too, like how the whole role of um, swindlers, et cetera, especially in America, I think, is complicated because mm-hmm. in some ways it's like, well, they are not usually killing anyone. They are uh, taking people's money, which isn't great, especially if they can't afford it. But it's there's almost this like admiration. For these people, Mm -hmm. right, who are, like, living outside the box and um, ignoring the social contract. So uh, (laughs) it's really, like, so she's interested in going into that and seeing, like, Mm -hmm. what did people think of these people at the time? Um, Like, there were products made using their names because it was, like, like, it was um, a, I forget her name, but the woman from Cleveland, they had, they made a nerve tonic that they named after her because she had nerve. (laughs) But... (laughs) Anyway, so it's it's very episodic, right? Like each chapter is about a different woman and uh, her her cons. So if you're interested in that uh, type of thing, which you should be because it's fascinating, uh, that is Confident Women, Swindlers, Grifters, and Shapeshifters of the Feminine Persuasion by Tori Telfer. That's amazing. Yeah. America's like history and complicated relation with con artists is fascinating. Yeah. Because uh, like you said, like – they're not good, but also, like, we're fascinated by them and, like, people kind of, like, taking what they want. And it's, like, a perversion, but also part of the system almost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That sounds fascinating. All right. So uh, my first pick is a book that I picked up 100% because I thought the subtitle sounded amazing. Um, and then it turns out it's a good book. So that's great. Uh, and then so the book is Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, A Monkey's Head, The Pope's Neuroscientist, and The Quest to Transplant the Soul by Brandy Schillis, which is out March 2nd from Simon & Schuster. Uh, and so this book is part biography of a guy named Dr. Robert White, who was a scientist who his quest through his life was to transplant the human soul. Which uh, in practicality means transplanting the human brain because that's where he thought the soul was resided. And so he was trying to transplant a brain. Uh, So it's a biography of him. And then it's also a history sort of of transplants and transplant science uh, as it evolved. There's also a lot in there about the Cold War. That's kind of where the story starts because the Cold War, in addition to like being, you know, advances in weaponry and space space, uh, technology also was a lot of competing about advances in medicine. So um, there's a chapter in the beginning about these Soviet scientists who were also like working on transplant science and they released a video or like leaked a video of them having transplanted a dog's head onto another dog. So it was this video of this two-headed dog that was alive and like... 
I know it's, I have to say, yeah, I should say right away, like there's a lot of stuff in here about medical experiments on animals. And so if that is a thing that you do not like, do not pick up this book because it's, it's not graphic, but it's very, um, there are a lot of really unpleasant experiences done on animals in the name of trying to understand transplanting. So I should have said that first, but yeah, avoid this book if you don't like that. But if that's something you can handle, then it's actually like very weird and interesting. So Dr. White started out his career looking at the brain, and he developed a lot of brain surgical techniques that are still used today. Um, He was nominated for the Nobel Prize for his work at one point. And then he also um, had relationships with two different popes in the Catholic Church because he was a devout Catholic. And so he spent a lot of time connecting his Catholic faith with his medical experimentation and his medical work. And so that's part of why his interest in the brain kind of developed. So the book just has a lot of different threads kind of running through it. Science and Cold War, ethics of medical experiments, innovation in medicine that we still use today how we even figured out that you can transplant organs from one person to another and then kind of all of the ways in which that didn't work and then how they slowly learned how to make it work and how they learned about the immune system and how the immune system affects transplants and all of that kind of stuff. So it's a pretty comprehensive book looking at a lot of different um, areas, but really around like the idea of transplantation, human transplants and how that works and how we learned to do it. So uh, again, if you do not like medical experiments on animals, This is not a book for you, but if that's something that does not bother you or you think you can get through, then uh, it's it's an interesting read. So, Mr. Humble and Dr. Butcher, A Monkey's Head, The Pope's Neuroscientist, and The Quest to Transplant the Soul by Brandy Schillis. Um, I am interested in the history of transplantation. However, is your love of Frankenstein influencing (laughs) your interest in this book? Probably yes. Probably yes. Amazing. I, I would not have made that connection, but now that you have, it's it's very clear that it is, yes. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. My next book is Come Fly the World, The Jet Age Story of the Women of Pan Am by Julia Cook. This is out March 2nd. So, gosh, this is really neat in terms of if you like a more readable nonfiction, and by readable, I mean it kind of has more of a, a um, almost a plot arc Like, it's one of those nonfiction books that picks, like, three women and then eventually brings their stories together. So it just makes it um, pretty easy to get through. And this is Uh focusing on Pan Am between 1966 and 1975. And it specifically talks about the, uh, quote, unseen diplomatic role that the uh, then stewardesses played on the world stage. So... Cook, uh, the author, she is a travel writer. She is the daughter of a former Pan Am executive. Pan Am itself closed in, I believe, 1991. Um, And so that, I think, sort of spurred her interest, right, in writing about the airline. But focusing on the 60s and 70s, that's, you know, we're still sort of in, like, the glamour age of air travel. And Mm -hmm. by glamour age, the more I was reading it, I was like, oh, it was glamour age because only rich people could afford to fly. <laughs> so, like, when people, you know, I, maybe I just hang out with a lot of older people, but I feel like people will be like, oh, flying used to be, you know, you would dress up and it was so, like, so much better than now when people wear sweatpants. And now I'm like, it's just because it's because it was really expensive. <laughs> I'm like, mm-hmm. at this point, I think it got, it started probably getting less so in the 70s. But in the 60s, 
Uh, so it focuses on these women. One of them is Lynn, who's a biology major from upstate New York, who she she got her biology degree and then was like, I don't know what to do with my life. And went o- abroad to Italy to do a class, um, which she took out a loan to do, which I was like, that's fascinating. It has a lot of gumption. And then she came back and she was like, well, I want to see more of the world. And she didn't feel like she fit this like glamorous aesthetic of the again i'm just gonna call them stewardesses because that's what the book does because it's um it's calling them flight attendants i think would be anachronistic but anyway Mm -hmm. so she is like there's this whole idea of stewardesses being like beautiful and well coiffed and all this and she didn't relate to it and her friends were trying to dissuade her from doing it uh, especially because three to five percent of applicants to be stewardesses were hired like it was an extremely competitive field Because what were the options for women then, you know? So she had thought of being a teacher and she was like, I don't want to spend more of my life in a classroom. So she did this. So she ends up becoming a flight attendant. It also is um, Karen, who worked at a military service club in Germany. And then Tori, who is uh, from Norway and just really good at languages. And so, you know, was able to – one of the requirements was you were supposed to be able to speak at least one other language. So it just – it's really interesting because it balances their stories. You get the human element with, again, like what was happening in the world at the time, specifically the Vietnam War. They talk about Operation Babylift where they uh, controversially uh, evacuated 2,000 children um, from Vietnam during the fall of Saigon. So there's just a lot going on. And it brings together a lot of different elements. It's like a cultural history and also women's history. And there's just, yeah, I think it's fascinating. So if you are interested, Come Fly the World, The Jet Age Story of the Women of Pan Am by Julia Cook. That sounds super interesting, too. Although I just, we just recently finished watching The Flight Attendant on HBO Max. And so I wonder if maybe now I'm fascinated by stories about women stewardess and flight attendants and stuff but that still does sound really interesting cool is that show good i really liked it yeah you have to you have to accept that the main character is going to make the wrong decision at every possible turn (laughs) and if you can't deal with that and you just find that frustrating then you would not enjoy the show but i thought it was pretty delightful okay that's good to know like going in yeah also like there's a lot of murders so Be prepared for that. Did not know. Okay. Yes, murders. Murders and bad choices is the whole theme of the show. Wow. Uh, Anyway, uh, my next pick uh, for this week is But You're Still So Young, How 30-somethings Are Redefining Adulthood by Kayleen Schaefer, which comes out March 2 from Dutton. Um, And this one got on my radar because the author wrote a previous book about female friendships called Text Me When You Get Home that I really liked and I think a lot of people did because it was a really interesting look at the importance and impact of female friendships. So this one, it made me curious about this one too. So But You're Still So Young looks at what it means to be somebody in your 30s and kind of looks at different ways of navigating through the, quote, checkboxes that we're told constitute being like a real adult. So generally and historically, sociologists say that the five markers of like becoming a real adult are finishing school, leaving home, marriage, gaining financial independence, and having kids. And so a lot of people, especially boomers and all of that, kind of use those markers as ways of moving through their lives. But as 
life has changed, society has changed, there have been significant economic upheavals, student debt is out of control, uh, marriage rates are decreasing, people are having fewer kids, there are lots of fertility issues that are popping up for people, um, society is more open-minded and less rigid. Those things have shifted the timeline of like doing those, quote, adult things. And so uh, this book is kind of looking at that and how to, and about navigating your 30s when you either haven't checked off those boxes, aren't interested in checking off those boxes, or kind of want to find something that's completely different. So uh, the book's organized with a chapter on each of those milestones, and then she brings in research about adulting, (laughs) her personal experiences, and then interviews with primarily like middle-class men and women in their 30s talking about navigating those milestones or deciding not to navigate them at all. And a lot of talk about like where people thought they would be in their 30s, where they like their the expectations they felt about their 30s versus where they are and why they think those things maybe are aligned or not. So I don't I don't know that I would say this book is universally interesting. Um, I'm a person who is in my 30s. I had a major life set of life upheavals when I turned 30 really significantly, like threw my life in a completely different direction. And so the idea that like your life is not following the checkboxes you think that it should because of whatever reason, like, is is resonant for me and, like, the experiences that I have had in my 30s. And so I'm finding a lot of resonance in that, but I don't know that everyone would. And we we talked about, like, pop science, I think, earlier in the episode. This is a little bit of pop sociology. Like, it's not a super sociological deep dive into your 30s. It's really more of a, like, survey and interviews, um, which I'm finding kind of engaging and interesting. I like people's stories, but that's another, like, your mileage may vary in that area. So I guess I recommend this one like uh, with an asterisk or reservations perhaps if it sounds interesting. I don't think it's maybe a universally amazing book or I don't know that it's a book of universal interest, but I'm enjoying it. So, but you're still so young. How 30 somethings are redefining adulthood by Kayleen Schaefer. That sounds really good. It was reminding me because you were talking about this, these cultural markers have changed. Mm -hmm. In my book club last night, we were talking about how um, midlife crises used to be much more of a cultural thing Mm, and mm -hmm. why. And I like had a lot of opinions on it, of which (laughs) I will only share like one here. But one is that um, people married so much younger Mm -hmm. and were like, even in this book I just talked about, right, the uh, Come Fly the World, they say that in the 1950s, about 65% of American women uh, were married by age 24. So mm-hmm. let's figure like under 30 also for men. And so then you spend almost your entire life like not having – like you're married and then you didn't get to really enjoy your younger years. So then of course at some point you're going to like freak out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like especially because everyone was so kind of trapped in these particular roles. So also what you were saying right about like certain things getting – um Uh, loosening in terms of societal strictures and that kind of thing it's just Uh i don't i just think it's fascinating yeah things have things have gotten better but also worse (laughs) better but also more complicated i think like that's part of her point is like when there was sort of this like clear set of check boxes that you were like this is what you do and this is what you do and this is what you do like that is very rigid and confining if at the time you don't feel like those things matter to you but now that those check boxes are less there's less pressure around them. It also opens up this whole world of choices and it makes it feel more complicated, like trying to decide what does it mean to be an adult if it isn't checking off these markers that people say is what makes you an adult. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. 
We also wanted to talk a little bit about some, I believe I said, books that look neat. <laughs> so one of them is, uh, we have just a couple. Uh, one of them is Speak Okinawa, a memoir by Elizabeth Miki Brina. And it's a, a memoir about, it's her journey to understand her very complicated parents. Her mother was uh, a war bride from Okinawa. Her father was a Vietnam veteran. And then uh, her trying to sort of figure out her cultural heritage. I haven't had a chance to take a look at it. So these are kind of the ones that we were like, oh, these are these are out, but they look really neat. So we want to make sure to talk about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also Flight of the Diamond Smugglers, A Tale of Pigeons, Obsession, and Greed Along Coastal South Africa by Matthew Gavin Frank. That sounds great. And The Snatch Racket, The Kidnapping Epidemic That Terrorized 1930s America by Carolyn Cox. There was so much kidnapping in the 1930s. That, yeah, that sounds amazing. I did not know that. Um, and the one I wanted to mention is The Girl Explorers, The Untold Story of the Globetrotting Women Who Tracked, Flew, and Fought Their Way Around the World by Jane Zangleen, uh, which is about the founding of the Society of Women Geographers, an organization of adventurous female world explorers, and how key members served as early advocates for human rights and paved the way for today's women scientists. Uh, which I started to read, but it has a lot of pictures and stuff in it. And so the digital galley I had was making it really hard. Um, but it, it, was, it was fun, the part I picked up. So I'm excited about that one as well. All right. So with that, we'll wrap up new books and we'll go to our second sponsor, which is The Barbizon, The Hotel That Set Women Free by Paulina Bren from Simon & Schuster. So what do Sylvia Plath, Joan Didion, Grace Kelly, and Rita Hayworth have in common besides being awesome? Uh, All of them were former residents of The Barbizon Hotel. Intended as a safe haven for the modern woman seeking a career in the arts, it became a place to stay for any ambitious young woman hoping for fame and fortune. This is the very first history of New York's most famous residential hotel and the remarkable women who lived there. Uh, The Barbizon was a place where young women coming to New York, at least those who could afford it, could pursue dreams without family obligations or expectations. It provided a safe haven for women, newly liberated and franchised, seeking fame and fortune. Grace Kelly danced topless down the hallways. Sylvia Plath wrote The Barbizon into the bell jar 10 years later as The Amazon. So this is a never-told history that isn't just about the colorful, well-known personalities who stayed there. It's also about a romantic building meant to set women free and provide them with a taste of independent living. That sounds awesome. So that is The Barbizon, The Hotel That Set Women Free by Paulina Bren. Did you ever see the movie Stage Door? No. No. Um, it's got Katherine Hepburn, Ginger Rogers, and Lucille Ball very early in her career. Basically a lot of uh, women who became very famous or already were in classic cinema. And it's just, it's about a, a hotel or, or like a boarding house for women, except they're all theatrically inclined. And oh. it's from the 1930s and it's really good. Wait, maybe it's the 1940s. Classic film lovers, don't yell at me. <laughs> but <laughs> anyway, um, that book about the Barbizon sounds great. It does. All right. So uh, this week's theme for this week's episode is one that we have done, I think, every year of the podcast so far, and that is International Women's Day, uh, because we love stories about international women. So we're bringing this one back with a few more books uh, that you think you could read to celebrate this annual event. So Alice, you are up first. Uh, we get very excited about this every Indeed. year. It's it's a yes. really fun subject. So my first pick is Freiheit, the White Rose graphic novel by Andrea Grosso Ciponte. It's out uh, February 16th from Plow Publishing House. So it's also a, a pretty new release. And this is the true story of a handful of students who resisted the Nazis and paid with their lives. So I really love, we talked recently about this, like historic graphic novels, like history-based, whatever, telling the story. 
And so I was really psyched to see this come out. I've been interested in The White Rose for a long time, which Mm. was a uh, university student-led resistance movement in Nazi Germany. And it's just, oh my gosh, like thinking about it makes me want to cry. (laughs) Because I'm like... They were inside Germany and that like, you know, coming like resisting that when the system was built up so much and was so restrictive and so terrible. It was just Mm -hmm. so brave. I honestly am feeling really emotional. I apologize. (laughs) But (laughs) anyway, so the White Rose, um, they printed and distributed leaflets to expose uh, Nazi atrocities. So because right, a lot of people kind of subconsciously even knew what was going on, but they would either ignore it or choose to um, not pay attention, which I guess is basically ignoring. So um, eventually the Gestapo um, caught and executed them. Sophie Scholl, who was one of the leaders of the White Rose, was 21. Her brother Hans was 24. Uh, Christoph Probst was 23. And then um, two other members, Alexander Schmorl and Willy Graf, were 25. But the White Rose has uh, continued to inspire uh, people who are um, committed to resistance. And it's just a a very both inspiring and and tragic story. So if you're interested in learning more, um, again, that is uh, Freiheit, the White Rose graphic novel by Andrea Grosso Ciponte. That's C-I-P-O-N-T-E. Oh, that sounds really good. Excellent pick. All right, so my first pick is in a little bit of an older book, uh, The Late Homecomer, Among Family Memoir by Kalia Yang. Um, and she is a Minnesota author, so I always am curious about her books. This is her first book, I believe, and it is the one I haven't read, which is <laughs> haven't read fully. So this book is about how uh, thousands of Hmong families made the journey from Laos to refugee camps in Thailand and then onward to America. And so Kao Kalia Yang, her family, uh, made this journey. She was born in a refugee camp and then came to the United States when she was six years old, I think. So this book is her attempt to like gather and tell her family's story. So the Hmong people didn't don't have a written language of their own. So the their experiences haven't ever really been um, recorded by a Hmong person. And so that's part of doing this. So she, after her grandmother dies, Kaukele Yang decided she wanted to try and tell her family's story about her, uh, how her parents met in Laos when they were uh, both their families were hiding in the jungle trying to avoid being massacred, how they married, um, formed a family in this refugee camp, and then came to the United States. And so she recounts the story of her family's captivity and their time in the refugee camp, the rescue undertaken by her fathers and uncles, and then their escape to Thailand where she was born in a refugee camp, and then what it meant to come to the United States. And so she writes about what it is like to adapt to a new place and new language as a child and with parents who are refugees in this country. Um, And then the stories shared through her family, through her female relatives, her grandmother, and uh, her community. Um, And so this is her, like I said, her first book. She's written another one about her father primarily. Um, She's written, I think, a children's book as well. Um, And I just think she's a really beautiful and evocative writer. And this one is, you know, equal. She's got, I'm, I'm at the part where her parents have first met in the jungle. And it's just, it's, it's amazing to think that like this is a thing that happened in the 1970s, like not that long ago. We were. It's just it's beautiful. It's beautifully written and it's uh, a good perspective uh, book, I think. So and uh, good to remember about the Hmong people who don't have a country but who have lived in many places and been pushed out of them in many ways and how they have still continued to find community and their voice. So that is the late homecomer among family memoir by Kao Kalia Yang. Oh, that sounds really good. That's yeah. nice. Thanks. I just sometimes I'm so, it's so 
delightful to hear like the books that other people find that you might never have stumbled mm-hmm. across, which I guess is one of the reasons that we do this podcast <laughs> now that I think <laughs> of it. Uh, to be that resource for others. But even just as your co-host, it's so uh, lovely hearing about books from you. Okay, my next pick is Things I've Been Silent About by Azar Nafisi. If that name sounds familiar, it's because she wrote Reading Lolita in Tehran, which was uh, immensely popular. And this is uh, her memoir. So the main thrust of this is uh, her relationship with uh, her mother, which was hmm, challenging to say the least. So um, again, like going in, if you have issues with a parent that you would prefer not to think about, then, and this might bring that up, then, you know, maybe avoid, but otherwise. So now Nafisi lives in DC. Uh, She was raised in Tehran in the 50s and 60s. So early on, she found out that her parents' marriage, uh, which was almost like political right it was like two of the very like wealthy families in tehran they were like oh like your son will marry my daughter and um but she was aware that the marriage was not happy and she tended to side with her father who uh became the mayor of tehran and she did not have a lot of sympathy for her mother um who mainly uh talked about her first husband and how she wasn't able to go to medical school, which is a legitimate claim. <laughs> like, you know, like thing to be upset about is uh, she wasn't able to go to medical school because of her gender, but apparently was also um, just a very difficult person to live with. So it's really like uh, Azar Nafisi's life in Tehran coming to uh, the United States and going to the University of Oklahoma, her marriage that she basically got into because of her mother um, when she was very young. She was still a teenager. And um, then, you know, sort of what was going on in Iran and then uh, her life in the United States. So just a lot going on, a lot about family, but also like international politics. So um, I don't know. I was just like, I was just really fascinated by this. Uh, but again, that is Things I've Been Silent About by Azar Nafisi. Oh, excellent pick. Yeah, I I loved reading The Lead Into Around, but I haven't read this one. So I'm glad you have reminded me of it. So my next pick is uh, Guest House for Young Widows Among the Women of Isis by Azadeh Movaini, which came out in 2019. And as the subtitle suggests, this is a book about the women who joined Isis. So uh, the book is the stories of these women, but also tries to do a little bit bigger picture look at what messages resonated with them, where they came from, and what happened after they decided to join ISIS. So uh, the women of ISIS came kind of from all over. Some came from the United States and Europe, others from Russia and Central Asia, some from North Africa, others from the Northeast, and they wanted to join the Islamic State. And so they're is a whole just like range of women who felt compelled or called to join. They were daughters of diplomats, some were doctors, some were teenagers, some were drifters and desolate housewives. And they felt compelled by the message that the Islamic State put out. And so they either found rebellion or community in political Islam. And then um, she writes about how they fell prey to propaganda that promised them sort of an adventure or some kind of freedom, but that actually was not, not true at all. Many of the women also were looking for places where they could live devoutly, um, which I think is a really interesting change. Like a lot of a lot of books about the Middle East write about the way that extreme Islam like oppresses women and holds them back. And for a lot of these women, they thought that the opportunity to live devoutly would be like freeing for them in some ways. And so she writes about kind of 
how that mindset plays out for individuals. Um, but like soon it becomes really obvious that the Islamic State is not going to do what they had hoped, that it's just a bunch of violent people obsessed with power and not religion. And so the women didn't find the agency that they hoped for. And so they it's about what happens after they get there and discover that this is not what they expected and not what they wanted. And they're essentially trapped within this state without any agency or ability to leave. And so I, I bought this one a couple of years ago and I've read parts of it. And it's it's really fascinating because she has a very, um, I think, empathetic lens. She's really trying to tell these women's stories and to, to help you understand why a woman might be compelled to join this organization and then what it actually meant and how they were kind of fed misinformation until they joined, which I think probably many, well, I can't really say that, but I want that, what that has meant. And so I think it's an interesting kind of look behind the scenes. So there's a lot of reporting and a lot of different stories. So I think it definitely gets at a group of women that whose voices really have not been heard. And I think that's worth reading. So that is Guest House for Young Widows Among the Women of ISIS by Azadeh Movaney. Oh, I remember this coming out and looking at mm-hmm. it for the podcast. And so, you know, reading part of it and being very interested. And then, as is my way, getting distracted and reading other things. But <laughs> uh, no, that's that's a really good pick. And it's, it's, it's just a really good book. My last pick for uh, our International Women's Day segment, which again, oh, what a theme. So great. Uh, is <laughs> Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China by Yung Chang. Um, this is a story of three generations uh, of women in 20th century China. And it's it's got that thing again, kind of that I was talking about with the Pan Am book, where I'm just going to relate everything back to that book, um, <laughs> where you have the focus on specific women, but you're also getting this like greater picture of the culture, which oh, I love. So this book, it's a little long, but I will say I saw the page, the page length, which I think is like 400 ish something pages, but that's with footnotes. So, you know, and I was I was a little intimidated but it's one of those books where you start reading it and you're like, I am in, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. from the beginning. So it starts off with Cheng's grandmother, Yu Feng, who uh, had her feet bound at age two. And it talks about, like, her parents and how she, like, how she got to where she was initially. So it like, goes back even a little before the first person talked about. And then in 1924, she was sold as a concubine to uh, Beijing's police chief. And so, and it's just like, so that already is just like, oh my gosh, there's so much going on there. And mm-hmm. then uh, it just continues and um, goes through the communist revolution and up to Chang herself was eventually, uh, she left China in 1978. She's um, the director of Chinese studies at London University and it's kind of like how you get from her grandmother, you know, in this uh, being this concubine in 1924 to Chang being, you know, the, again, this director at London University. And like, it's there's so much. And it's just, gosh, it, I feel like any family, if you really get into their history, is going to be fascinating because humans are just interesting. But like this, especially because it's in the midst of this enormous upheaval in China. So there's you've got like all of this detail around like the politics and everything going on, but then also um, the personal struggles of these women in this family. And it's I mean, it's sold a millions of copies and is just like, oh, I always want to use modern classic and I don't want to overuse (laughs) it. However, (laughs) I kind of want to here in terms of nonfiction. But again, that is Wild Swans, Three Daughters of China by Yung Chang. 
Yeah, that one's, I've seen that one several times and I've never gotten past the length to pick it up, but it sounds fascinating. So I'm really glad you, glad you talked about it. All right, that wraps up uh, this year's International Women's Day segment. There's obviously many more books we have talked about and could talk about, but those are just a few. So uh, we will close the podcast as we normally do by talking about the books that we are reading uh, right now. So I am reading a book that you, Alice, talked about a couple of episodes ago, uh, True Tooth and a Lie, A Murder, A Private Investigator, and Her Search for Justice by Ellen McGarren, which is about a woman who was a journalist, witnessed an execution that did not go well, and uh, years later can't can't get that out of her her, her mind, and so uh, is prompted to kind of revisit that case and investigate it from the lens of a private investigator. And uh, we were talking before the podcast, like I, one of my comfort watches right now is like crime procedurals, uh, which is weird, I think, maybe because it shouldn't be comforting, but I find something very satisfying about the like start and end and like a conclusion is reached and justice is served, sort of. Um, so I I finished up a, a, a big watch of a, a couple of series and I was like, what do I want next? And I thought, true crime, a true crime story will scratch the itch I have for a procedural. So I, you were so excited about this one. So I had it, I bought it after you talked about it on the podcast. So I was like, yes, now I shall, now I shall read it. So Two Truths and a Lie, A Murder and Private Investigator and Her Search for Justice by Ellen McGarrahan. Um, yeah, I love that book. It's so good. It's just, I feel like it moves real quick mm-hmm. and it just keeps, it just keeps twisting. <laughs> I love it. love it. <laughs> You think you know what's going on, but do you? Um, no. Yeah, I personally have finally picked up Hidden Valley Road. So look yeah. at us just picking Woo. reads that the other one recommended. Yeah, Hidden Valley Road by Robert Kolker. It was on so many best book lists and it finally came. My, I had a hold on it at the library and it finally came in this morning. So we started it Ooh. and I was like, okay. And I, from the beginning, again, it's one of those books where you start it and you're like, oh, and it's just immediately good. So I am excited about it. In conclusion, you can find us on social media. I am at It's Alice Time and Kim is at Kim the Dork. Our amazing audio editing for this episode was done by Jen Zink. And if you have a few minutes, we would love it if you would take the time to rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. That helps people find us more easily. And then you can subscribe so you get new episodes the very minute that they come out. Uh, so with that, I am Kim Ukra. And I'm Alice Burton. And we thank you for listening to this week's episode of the For Real Podcast.